Greetings and welcome to this podcast entitled Techno Resiliency, Needed Now More Than Ever. My name is Dr. Rob Graham and I'm coming to you from North Bay, Ontario, Canada. I hope wherever you are in the world, you will sit back and enjoy. Welcome back. I'd like to begin today's episode by talking a little bit about this notion of techno-resiliency. As you know, the title of this episode is Techno-Resiliency Needed Now More Than Ever. That term techno-resiliency is something that uh, I coined early in my doctoral thesis year as a student at Lancaster University in the UK. And to give you a little bit of a history around the term and where it came from, I have to share a little bit about my lived experience as an educator and as a student at Laurentian University in the Child and Development Master's program. Early in my teaching career, I began as a special educator, actually the first four years. Shortly after my first four years as a spec ed teacher, I was called into the principal's office and asked if I would want to take over the information technology department in our grade seven and eight school. Uh, the The teacher at that time was going to be retiring. I had to think about it. Um, This was more than 20 plus years ago, and it was a time in schools when PCs were just slowly emerging and what were called icons, kind of self-contained boxes uh, with very um, limited software, shall we say, that would be very low on the engagement scale for students by today's comparison. Uh, Those were still the tools of the trade, if you will. After thinking about it, I came back to the principal and said that I would be willing to take on this opportunity, and at that time, certainly a challenge, but I would want to get rid of all the icons, and I would want to create one of the first networked computer labs. Well, I remember the principal looking at me and and most certainly kind of chuckled and said, by all means, uh, just know that you'll have limited resources, but that would be a wonderful uh, thing to do, obviously. So with that in mind, limited resources, and not a lot of knowledge behind what I was going to be attempting to do, I set out to create a networked computer lab for the next fall. Very quickly, I realized that if this was going to take place, I was going to have to bring in somebody who actually knew what to do, and that collaboration with a friend of mine at the time who was a computer engineer uh, was very important in this whole process, and I'll talk a little bit about the need for this collaboration as we go forward. Anyways, what we did is we found a half-ton truck and we drove up to nearby Sudbury, Ontario, and we picked up old 386 computers, many of them being thrown out as this business was going to be upgrading to 486 computers. I was able to salvage a laser printer from a NIN bin that was nearby the business, and we brought all these parts back to the school, and over the course of the summer, we attempted to put together some semblance of a networked computer lab. Now, I do recall the principal coming in later in the summer and uh, kind of inspecting the job that we were doing, and she often asked me if I thought it was going to be ready, and I said, 100%, we'll have it ready one way or another. Well, that fall, we did. We did uh, put together one of the first network computer labs in our school district, and for all I know, possibly Ontario. But The reason for this particular story is the notion of techno-resiliency that I came up with to complete my doctoral thesis 
was largely born out of that experience. You see, during that time, I had limited training, limited knowledge, a lack of resources, and all of those what I will call lack ofs required a professional imperative, a desire to want to make this happen for the betterment of my students and the learning process. That professional imperative is vital, in my opinion, to the notion of techno-resiliency that I later, in later years, came up with. So overcoming those lack ofs driven by this professional imperative, that essentially formed the framework and the basis for what I now call techno-resiliency. Techno-resiliency, in its simplest terms, and to try to put some understanding to it, is essentially making do with limited resources in order to bring some level of technology in an education context to students and learning. Now, techno-resiliency, of course, uh, is much more far-reaching than that, in my opinion, in that we can have and should be demonstrating levels of techno-resiliency in the wake of this COVID-19 pandemic in organizations and businesses. When businesses will be confronted with a lack of resources, they'll be confronted with a, a lack of finances, People are going to have to come together collaboratively and there's going to be have to have heightened professional practices within the organization and able to overcome some of the challenges that will be faced. Now, in education particularly, the notion of barriers is often used to describe, you know, the things that teachers have to overcome and, the st and that students have to overcome. Barriers include finances, lack of training, lack of initiative, all those lack ofs. But in my mind, the notion of barrier is not a very useful term for describing um, what we're confronted with as educators and even in organizations. You see, barriers assume that people don't necessarily want to scale them or they can't scale them. And I don't know that that's necessarily true. I would argue that the term barrier is not a great analogy and or metaphor for understanding and visualizing what's happening. As a doctoral student, one of my advisors challenged me to come up with a better way uh, for understanding. And the term that I landed on is inequity. So when I think about schools today, and I think about what's going on with education in terms of the online, uh, the Ontario government more or less pushing parents and students and teachers to online learning. Now, I think there was no choice there. I fully support that. Uh, there was really nothing else that could be done. But to use the term online learning is a very loose term. It's more like providing online supports. When we think about what is online learning, online learning has a 20-year uh, pedagogy and history behind it. It's a discipline in and of itself. And I think teachers, parents, and students today are re really struggling um, as a result of this move to the online. Now, what they're largely struggling with is the inequity. And that inequity, in my mind, is inequity in terms of resources, inequity in terms of a stable internet connection, inequity in terms of the actual platforms and or lack of technologies, most certainly inequity in terms of teachers' understanding about how to present and teach in an online environment. So instead of using the term barriers, I like to use the term inequity, and the online learning that's taking place in Ontario today has exposed a lot of that inequity. But while it's exposed a lot of that inequity, it has also, in my mind, 
exposed high levels of what I'm going to call techno-resiliency. And that's educators, parents, and students that have had a professional imperative and a desire to somehow make it work in spite of all of this inequity. Now, that's really important because the notion of techno-resiliency was also born out of what was called a resiliency vulnerability model that was originally proposed by a researcher called Garmency. Now, I find this quite fascinating because when I was a master's student at Laurentian University many years ago, one of the key pieces of research that we were looking at was this resilience vulnerability model that was proposed by Garmency. Now, even though it was in the field of child and development, that stuck with me as I was studying later in my doctoral studies, specific in the field of technology. You see, Garmency's whole theory was, hey, what if we could take a look at children that were living in very socially impoverished um, environments that really had a lot of lack ofs, shall we say, but were somehow able to overcome those lack ofs and become very successful people. His theory was a simple one, uh, but not so simple in terms of actually trying to conduct the research. But his idea was that if we could somehow isolate the key factors that these individuals in their lives were able to use to overcome those um, social deficits, if you will, then we could use those and train other children in similar environments. Now, the focus on vulnerability or deficits and then the move to resiliency, I found very curious. But for my doctoral research and my notion of techno-resiliency, I opted to focus on the positive. I opted to focus on the resilient factors. So what I did in my research is I looked at schools, teachers, parents, and students that were somehow overcoming the inequity. And there was merely a spotlight on those positive, resilient factors. And what I discovered in my research, and most certainly going back to my lived experience, that often driving, driving the resilient use of technology in schools that have limited funding, that have limited resources, that have limited training, is a very strong professional imperative and desire to make it work in spite of all these things. So spotlighting schools that, that basically had limited funding, uh, one was a rural school and the other was kind of an inner city school, if you will, and there was a process that I went through for identifying these. Um, I went in and I immersed myself working with teachers, working with parents, working with administrators, working with students, and my goal was to try to isolate, similar to what Garmency was attempting to do in child and development, I was attempting to isolate the professional factors and um, that were, were making this technology work in spite of all this inequity. Now, you might say, well, Rob, what did you discover? What were some of those professional um, practices that were enabling these educators and these schools to somehow make it work? Well, as I've already mentioned a couple times already in this podcast, the professional imperative stood out in my mind. Every single principal, every single teacher, all of the students and parents that I interviewed over the course of my time all had this resounding professional imperative to somehow get it done. And oftentimes that meant using older, 
um, almost redundant technologies because that's all that was available. It often meant teachers that I spoke to and interviewed taking courses and going above and beyond the proverbial call of duty to train themselves. Other notable and observable professional practices were having older kids come in and actually mentor and or teach classes where teachers maybe didn't know how to effectively use the technology. And born out of that, in essence, was no fear of failure. And that, again, was a very, very evident professional um, trait that I noticed in the educators, the students, and the administrators was this lack of fear of a failure, more driven by a desire to engage and to inspire with the technology. Now, if we kind of flip it to today, where we look at, what, look at what's going on in the wake of this pandemic and the move to the online, I totally understand that today many of the parents um, have almost thrown the towel in because they're just finding it too cumbersome and too much work to be there if they have two or three kids at home. That inequity in terms of you know, the parental support is, is obviously a huge factor in what's going on today. But I have to be honest, I've had a bit of a backdoor insight into to what's gone on because my wife is a teacher. And I've been very proud to say that from where I have been sitting and listening and watching and attempting to support, many of the educators uh, that I have seen in action have done their best to try to overcome some of the inequity in training and resources. And I have been very proud of that level of techno resiliency, as I would label it, that's been taking place. Now, has this been perfect? Absolutely not. Has the inequity been almost insurmountable? Yeah, I would probably argue for some it has been. But today, the need for techno resiliency going forward, the need to find cost-effective professional practices and resources um, that we can use and we can cling to in the wake of this pandemic when finances are going to be limited and resources will also be limited, I would argue the need for techno-resiliency has never been greater. So for me, I see this as a tremendous opportunity to offer some support and some guidance in terms of the professional practices that I noted in my work and I have continued to write about and now podcast about. I think now is a time to put those under a microscope even further and to actually further examine and take a look at how some agencies in the wake of this are going to somehow overcome and they are going to be resilient. And I'm very interested to see what professional practices um, we can even take to another level in terms of that. So yeah, techno resiliency now more than ever, most certainly. Um, but I would also argue that for our students and our parents, that techno-resiliency is something that they must also try to grab hold of. Uh, most certainly our educators, our business people are going to have to show levels of techno-resiliency. But going forward, certainly uh, students and parents are going to have to be aware of this and how they can overcome some of the inequity. Now, I have heard and I have been reading that you know a lot of people have been saying, well, the government needs to come up with solutions I'm not so sure that we can always be looking to the government. Uh, they have, in my humble opinion, done the best they can under these very, very um, desperate times, if you will. 
but I think that parents and students are going to also have to embrace this notion of techno-resiliency, and they are also going to have to find collaborations and ways to try to overcome some of this inequity that a lot of people have been reporting. So just to kind of sum up today's podcast, the notion of techno-resiliency, as I suggested, was born out of my lived experience. It's something that I did live and I did have to practice. Uh, and today, as I look at that term and that theory and that work that, that started all those years ago, uh, I'm very excited about looking at and studying how people will be resilient specifically with their uses of technology going forward. I know there's been many educators that have done a wonderful job of overcoming the inequity and have utilized the technology extremely effectively. I also know that some parents and some students have also embraced it and have made good use of it. If we think that once we do get back to some level of normalcy in our education system and students are back in the schools, that we can simply place them back in their seats and adopt a chalk and talk mentality, I think we could be in for some trouble. Students have had had a chance to see and utilize technologies at a higher level than maybe they've had opportunity to do in the past. I know my daughter, who's in grade seven, most certainly has enjoyed and welcomed some of the opportunities that she's been given to demonstrate her techno skills. So my hope is that this will have strengthened our education system and will have actually strengthened some of our teachers' skills, and going forward, there will be higher levels of techno-resiliency and the professional imperative to try to bring some of this back into the learning environment once we do get back into our school systems. Well, I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast on techno-resiliency needed now more than ever. I look forward to sharing more insights from some of my work and my book, Techno-Resiliency in Education by Springer Publishing. I do hope if you have enjoyed and or learned something from this that you will share and uh, subscribe to my podcast series. And most certainly, please reach out to me. I look forward to any feedback. Uh, and ultimately, I'm really looking forward to the possibility of doing some speaking specific to groups, organizations, and educators about techno-resiliency. If you have any techno-resilient professional practices that you'd like me to become aware of, I would love if you shared those with me. Thanks so much, folks. Stay healthy, stay happy. Dr. Graham, signing off.